Go ahead and uh, make your way back to your seat. Thank you so much for uh, stepping in with us. We call that four minutes of family. Sometimes it's shorter, sometimes it's longer, but the whole point is for you to get an opportunity to connect and talk and uh, meet some people that maybe you know or that you don't know. Um, I, I feel like I should do a little bit of uh, just information. If you're new, welcome. We're really excited that you are here. Uh, it, I mean, Hunter did a great job reminding us that we're all relatively new. Let me just reiterate, we have some great service opportunities if you're not currently serving here at Coastline. Uh, a lot of them are kind of entry level, won't take your whole life to do. We just encourage you to get involved. Uh, right now, I kind of likened Coastline to we are building the plane and flying the plane at the same time which is awesome. Yeah, Ray's with me here. So uh, we need some more hands to help us build the plane so we don't crash the plane as we're trying to fly the plane. So anyway, uh, make sure you grab a welcome card, fill that out, and not only fill that out, but circle one of our seven different ministry teams that you too can be a part of, right? Um, so come join us in that because uh, we still have some significant work that needs to get done. Uh, does everybody know what cornhole is? Like, raise your hand if you know what cornhole is. Like, it's also known as, like, beanbag toss, just making sure. Some of you might have been wondering, like, what? We're eating corn at the park. What's going on? Uh, but we're going to have this awesome cornhole tournament, which we're super excited about. You can be lame. You can be great. You don't even have to play. But again, we're just creating more opportunities for us to connect as the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters, one other thing, just to remind you, Frank List, if you're new and you weren't part of our launch team, you might be thinking like, who's Frank? Why does he have a list? That sounds really scary. Um, it's an acronym. It stands for friends, relatives, acquaintance, neighbors, and coworkers. It's just our sphere of influence. And here at Coastline, we are excited about launching this brand new church. And we believe that, that Jesus and God have a plan for the people in our lives that we love our families, our neighbors, our friends, and we believe that the best way to live is to live in a vibrant relationship with Jesus. And so we're just taking this opportunity to invite those friends that we love so much and say, hey, I'm really enjoying myself over here at this new thing called Coastline. God is on the move. Come check it out. Come be with me. So that's what that's about. Um, six o'clock. It is so fun to be with you. Uh, we are smaller in number at six, but I think Hunter's already mentioned it. You guys are vibrant. Like, you kind of put the four to shame a little bit. Um, so way to go after it in worship. And uh, I think we keep doing this. I think the six o'clock is going to outdo the four. All righty. Hey, um, here's something that I believe. You might have the best destination. Like the sweet spot that you're thinking about going to, right? But it doesn't matter much if you can't get there, Right? It doesn't matter. You might have this best vacation spot plan, like, oh, I can't wait. But if you don't know how to get there and you can't get there, it doesn't matter how great your destination is. Back in the day, here's Garrick. I'm 16 years old. I just got my license in May, and it's summertime. And this is back in the day. Students, you know this. There used to be a day where you got your license on your stinking birthday, not this birthday plus one stuff. And then when you got it, all of your friends were welcomed into your car, and you just drove around aimlessly wherever you could, you know, because it was about being with your friends. You didn't have to wait that one year. 
And so I gathered with my friends and said, hey, we're going to go to Magic Mountain. And so driving to Magic Mountain, had a great time. I got instructions from my dad because this is back in the day before you had cell phones and you couldn't just punch in, you know, on Google Maps, Magic Mountain, and then turn right, turn left. So I had this list of instructions that told me to take the 405 North, which dead-ended into the 5 North, which then, you know, Magic Mountain's there in Valencia on the left-hand side. Had a great time at Magic Mountain. Stayed there till midnight, closed down the house, rode Colossus as many times as we could, got back in the car and drove home. And in my 16-year-old mind, I just thought, this isn't a problem. I just reversed the instructions. Right? Because the five, when you're headed south, will dead into the 405 headed south. And then I'll get myself to the 110 and head south, and I'll make my way home. Well, all the adults in the room understand that headed north, the 405 dead ends into the five. When you're traveling south on the five, it does not dead end into the 405. You have to do a turnoff to get to the 405. Well, I miss that. So here I am, one in the morning, screaming down the five, and the further I go, I'm, I, it takes me about a half an hour to realize. I'm, I'm talking to my friends, and I realize, hey, does anybody recognize where we are? And everybody starts looking out the window, and they're like, I don't know. I have no clue. And, and then eventually, like, I think somebody saw, like, knots in kind of the background, you know? Like, wait a minute. We're not near the South Bay. What happened? So it's back in the day when dinosaurs roamed the planet, and I have to get off the freeway, find a payphone. Yes, they used to exist, the payphone. Call my dad at like 1.30 in the morning, wake my dad out of his slumber, like, Dad, I want to get home. He's like, great, where are you? I'm like, I don't know, but I want to get home. Eventually made my way back. The whole reason I share that story is this reality that you might know where you would like to go, but if you have no clue of how to get there, then it really doesn't matter. And last week, Sean did a great job kind of giving or unpacking this um, vision statement that we have for Coastline. And if you'll put it up on the screen for me, this isn't new to many of you, and you're going to hear it throughout the weeks ahead as we're in this series called Foundations. But to live as God's beloved family— inviting all to experience Jesus. That is what Coastline's about. If you're thinking about, hey, where do you guys want to go? What is the future about? What is this new church? What is your aim? What is your target? What is your goal? Our goal is to learn to be a loving family of God together and then invite others into that family. Great. That's where we want to go. That's our destination. But again, if we don't know how to get there, then it can sound great, but it's just pie in the sky. So this week, we want to talk about our mission statement. A mission statement is basically saying, okay, here is the roadmap of how we're going to live into this futuristic idea of our vision statement. And the mission statement for Coastline is this, to create joyful and courageous followers of Jesus. That's what we want to be about. If we say, hey, we want to be a loving family that invites people to experience this radical, dynamic, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, how are we going to do that? We're going to do that by collectively getting together and be committed to this idea that we are going to create, by God's help and God's work, joyful and courageous followers of Jesus. And if you will allow me, I'd like to spend the next few minutes just kind of uh, giving you some insight, unpacking for you. What are some of those significant ideas behind that statement that you're going to hear from time to time at Coastline? 
that we're about creating joyful and courageous followers of Jesus. So that's what we're going to do this evening. Let me pray for us, and we'll keep rolling here. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, just the church gathered. Father, I thank you for family and friends that ex- uh, accepted the invitation to come and be part of this. Lord, you have a plan for each one of us sitting in this room this evening. And Lord, we pray that our minds and our hearts would be open as we open up your word together and think deeply and richly about who you are and who we are. We ask that you would give each one of us something very specific that we need to think about, that we might need to respond to. God, we believe that your word is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. Lord, it comes and it brings sustenance into our lives. We believe that the Holy Spirit is here mingled with your word to make it alive and active for us. So, Father, we open our minds and our hearts now, and in the time that we have together, we pray, Lord, that you would impart something to us that we need as we go and live this life with you this week. In your name we pray. Amen. So let me begin with the statement here. I'd like to begin with the last portion of it. So if it's to create a joyful and courageous, where I'd like to focus our time and attention for this moment is followers of Jesus. What do we mean by a follower of Jesus? You know, Scripture, when it begins, it calls the disciples, the 12 disciples that Jesus called to himself— And then in the early book of Acts, which is the the letter of the Bible that basically speaks about the launching and the birth of the church after Jesus has died and resurrected, it uses this language in chapter 2 and chapter 4 of believer. And yet you see here in Acts chapter 6 verse 1, it says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. And so something has happened here between, okay, the disciples were the 12 called disciples and now they're apostles, which means special messengers sent with the gospel message of Jesus. And then you've got this whole group of disciples that this scripture uses to describe what we say as a follower of Jesus. And there's a reason for that because you get into the original language, Matthias, and you have uh, uh, Matheteo, which is the verb to follow. And so a disciple is a person who is following someone else. If you were looking to a a biblical dictionary, it would define a disciple this way. A student who adheres to and travels with a teacher in a learning relationship. And so there's this reality that a disciple is a learner and a disciple is somebody who is following somebody else. See, sometimes we get caught up in this idea of believer, that being a Christian is something to believe, and it is. At its core, it's this reality that God loves us, and he loves us so much that he sent his son down to be a sacrifice on our behalf so that we could be forgiven of anything that stood in the way of us having a right relationship with our creator God. And so that's part of this work that God has done for us in Jesus And that's part of the reason why that we follow this idea of being an apprentice. But it's more than just something, a set of beliefs we have. The language of disciple, the language of a follower, you might have a set of beliefs that Jesus is the Son of God and he is the Messiah, and yet 
you can also believe that and not follow. And I think that's part of the reason why Scripture uses this language of a disciple, somebody who is watching someone else and learning from them. I mean, think with me with the disciples, the first four disciples, as they're called into this relationship with Jesus in Mark chapter 1, 16 through 18. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, maybe you remember, Jesus calls them into a relationship with himself and says, hey, come follow me and I will make you fishers of other people. I basically you take you and teach you, and then you will go out and teach others this great gospel message that God loves them, and he's made a way for them to be in relationship with them through his son, Jesus. And so a follower believes in Christ, but then also has responded in a relationship to follow Christ. A disciple is one who walks in close relationship with Jesus. So you're thinking about what Jesus does and you're following what Jesus does and you're following his commands, but you're engaged in this intimate, dynamic relationship that he has called you into. That's part of what we mean when we say a follower. It's someone who believes in Jesus and is following hard after them. Paul gives us a great example in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 1. A very simple verse where he says this, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. The language there is really, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The Greek word there, uh, memete, is where we get our word mimic. It's one who imitates somebody else. It's Paul saying, look, imitate my life as I'm imitating Christ. I shared part of this story years ago, but my wife and I had this great privilege on our sabbatical of going to Israel together. And we were specific about the organization that we chose to partner with in this trip because instead of journeying on this big bus and just showing us these great historical religious sites, you actually get out and we walked the land of Israel. And part of we would walk and then the teacher would stop and give maybe like a half an hour teaching and then we would depart and keep hiking and walking to another location. And I'll never forget, he was doing a teaching on what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And he was really trying to bring home the point that it was more than something to believe, but it was a belief that led you to an action. And he said, in the first century, uh, you know, somebody who's following their rabbi would have done exactly what they saw the rabbi doing. And so he said, for these next couple hours, I would like everybody to practice this. Do what I do. And then he picked up his backpack and he went on his way and we continued to hike up the trail that we were hiking. And somewhere along the trail, he bent down and he picked up a rock. And as you have a, a group of like 50 to 70 people, you know, over a trail, we're all spread out. And my wife was in the front because she walks really fast. I do everything slow, so I'm in the back hanging out, enjoying God's creation. I'm on this hike. I'm loving it. I'm not paying attention. And all of a sudden, we get to a place about half mile up the trail, and the, the teacher stops and says, hey, I want everybody to pull out the rock. I said, rock? What, what rock? Like, am I supposed to grab a rock right now? And then he gave that whole teaching in summary again of what does it mean to be a disciple? It means that you have committed your life to Jesus Christ and he is your savior, yes, but you are following hard and long after him. You're not trailing in the back, not paying attention. 
as I was. And what's funny about the story now wasn't funny then. He was so committed to teach this principle that we didn't just pick up rocks and continue the journey, which was what Garrick was hoping for, but to really prove the point, we walked another half mile back down the trail to the place where he originally picked up a rock and all of us who weren't paying attention to the people in front of us, we picked up rocks too, and then we turned around and we hiked back up the hill. Talk about 50 people not being pleased with you. I was like, sorry, what do you do? You know, sorry? I share that whole story to help us be reminded that to be a follower of Jesus It means that you're paying attention. It means that it's important to you, right? Like if you have something important going on at work, a big presentation, you pay attention to that. If you have a kid at home who's in need, who needs your time and attention, you're paying attention to that kid. To be a follower of Jesus means that more than believing in who Jesus is, you're paying attention to him and his life, and you're following it with your own life. That's, friends, what it means to be a disciple. And that's what we mean when we say, look, a follower of Jesus. Now, not only does Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 say, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ, but in the original language, there's a um, word there that means to be or to become. So it really has this language of Paul saying, imitate me as I'm imitating Christ. So that you become like me as I'm becoming like Christ. See, it's not just a matter of get in the church and just do stuff, right? It's doing with a purpose. And the purpose is to not just do for the sake of the Lord, although that's a good thing, but that's only half of it. The other half of it is doing so that you and I become. It's looking into scripture and it's modeling our life after Jesus, not only because, man, that is the best way to live, but so at the end of our lives, we can say together, I look more like Jesus. It's this transformational process when we say, hey, a follower of Jesus, you're not just doing you're actually becoming like. I want to give you just a a quick, important thought on how do we do this. If you think about your life and how you're following Jesus right now, and if you identify more with like, Garrick, I'm with you in kind of the back of the pack. I'm not, I'm here and I'm present and I'm engaged, but I'm not really paying attention to what's happening in the front. Or maybe I'm distracted right now with other things in my life. What does it really mean to become more like Christ as I follow him? Friends, I think it takes a decision of mind and heart. It takes a decision of mind coming out of Romans 10, 9, that that you believe, that you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. That is salvation. That is the core of the gospel message. And yet there's this reality, too, about our identity, about how we see ourselves. See, it's not just about, okay, this is who Jesus is. Following him means, how do I see myself in light of him? 
And let me take you to three passages that Paul, I think, gives us a good example of his own self-understanding of how he identifies himself. And I think this is important because it shows kind of the decision of mind that creates this following hard after Jesus. So the next verse, if you'll go there for me, Romans 1.1, he says, Paul, a servant. The language there in the original Greek is a slave. Paul says, I see myself as a slave of my Savior, Jesus. Meaning, I allow him to control all of the decisions and the direction of my life. Go to that next passage for me. I think it's, yeah, 1 Corinthians 1.1. Paul, a called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He's saying, I'm on this journey with Jesus because God has called me. See, it really comes down to our self-understanding of identity. To whom do you belong? Sean did a great job last week reminding us that so often we try to live our lives as I am the star of my own story. And the world will sell you over again and again about the idea of you want to live a fulfilled life? Then make sure you're the star of your own story. When Christ and the Bible come into play and say, actually, it's the exact opposite. When you become the star of your story, your life gets absolutely myopic and you miss the whole point because life is best fulfilled in following Jesus who is the star and not us. So if it's a decision of mind, it's also a decision of the heart. And that's this real reality that you and I can say, yep, Jesus is Lord. I believe that he came, that he died on a cross for my sin, that through that I am forgiven for all eternity, that he came, that he rose on the third day, ascended into heaven. I believe it. He is Messiah. He is Lord. Now, I don't want to be um, flippant with that because that's a significant truth. And there might be some people in the room that are saying, I'm still stuck back there going, I don't know if I believe that. And if that's you, then let me say just for a moment, you're in good company. Come and continue to journey on this idea of what does it mean to follow Jesus? But for some of us, we've, we've made that decision that Jesus is Lord. And yet if we're honest with ourselves, we'd realize that I haven't really made him the Lord of my life. That there are things in my life that I want, that I think about, and that I do that I haven't given Jesus true lordship over. Oh, he's Lord over there, ruling his own kingdom, but as it comes to my little fiefdom here in the Garrick universe, Jesus, you don't have authority. And so if we're going to follow after Jesus, it's this decision of mind and this heart to say, Lord, you are Savior, and I will give you lordship of my life, which means I need to trust you even when I can't see it, and I need to surrender to you even when it makes sense or when it doesn't make sense. So there's this reality for us of following hard after him that takes a mind decision and a heart decision as well. Here's some questions that I want to put in front of you to to ponder for a moment. Have you decided in your mind and heart to follow Jesus? And how goes your following? Let's just take a moment, can we, and just think on that for a second? And it's not to be guilt-induced, um, It's more of an encouragement. It's more of saying, if you're up in front and following hard after him, keep going. 
And if you find there are areas in your life where there's a divide between how you're living and what you want and what Christ would call you to, 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 to speak that out, to claim that and say, okay, Lord, there's some work here for us to do. So how is your following? Okay, let me move on. So in our statement, the next word here, to create joyful and courageous followers of Jesus. Two things to say real quickly about this idea of creating. Creating means intentionality, and creating means process. What do I mean by intentionality? I guarantee you, if you do nothing for the next 10 years in your journey with Jesus, you will still be 10 years older, right? Aging takes no intentionality. It just happens to us, like it or not. But growing in Christ-likeness actually takes intentionality on our part. In 10 years, I will be 10 years older, guaranteed, and I will look it. But there's no guarantee that in 10 years, I will look more Christ-like without intentionality. So it takes intentionality, but it's also a process, right? We, we have this language that of like, you know... Um, What's the statement I'm looking for? Oh, I'm a work in progress. You ever use that? Hey, man, I'm just a work in progress, right? Aren't we all? None of us are perfect, right? Can I get an amen? We're all works in progress. And that's fine, because that's biblically true. But here's what I want it for Coastline. I want this idea of creating, the reality that, that disciples take time. It, it takes time to grow in your Christ-likeness. That it's not something that can just you know, magically happen and be formed. It takes intentionality on your part, but as it's a work in progress, I want it to be an aim and a goal and not an excuse. Like there's a way to say, hey, I'm a work in progress that points you to, but this is where I'm at today, but tomorrow I'm working toward being here in my love and devotion and affection for Jesus Christ. See, there's an attitude of heart that can say, hey, I'm a work in progress, you know? which is basically saying, don't push me. Don't ask too much from me. Don't make me change. Don't make me transform. Or there's a way of saying, man, I am a work in progress, and I am not happy with what, I'm not going to settle for who I am today because God has more for me in his son, Jesus Christ, and I'm going to go after it, and it's going to take intentionality. Friends, that's a work in progress. That's the work in progress I want to be. That's the work in progress I want everybody at Coastline to be saying, fine, I'm here today. I'm under God's love and on God's grace. There's no, no, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There's no judgment. Great, in that grace, then let's get a goal and say, where do I want to be tomorrow? Because I want to look more like Jesus in my attitudes and my actions and my affections. Okay, so to create a joyful and courageous follower of Jesus. Let's move to the two ideas that I think are significant for Coastline. To be joyful and to be courageous. Philippians 4.4 4 is the verse for joyful. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Now that's not a new idea for many of you, but to rejoice is the verbal form of joy. It means to take delight in, to express joy in, to experience gladness in. And Paul commands us twice to say, as followers of Jesus, we are to rejoice, to experience and delight in our Lord. Now, I think he gives us this command twice. Why? Well, the first reason, I think, is because joy is so important to the Christian life and the Christian witness, and it's often lost within the church. 
But secondly, I'd like to say this, that joy is always available to a follower of Jesus, but it's not guaranteed. Now think with me for a moment on that. Joy is always available, but it's not guaranteed. See, joy is not something uh, that happens to you. That's happiness. That's based on happenstance. Catch this. Joy is the product of your response to something done for you. See, God has saved you in his son Jesus for all those that profess faith in Jesus Christ. That is the work that God has done on your behalf. Our joy is the product of our response. Which means this. That means to experience joy, we must practice rejoicing. See, joy is a product of our response to something done for us. See, you can't control the circumstances of your life but you can take joy in them. And it's not based on your circumstances, it's based on this reality that God loves you and he's proved it once for all in his son Jesus. And you can go back to that and learn to rejoice. And rejoicing is how you and I, friends, find joy. It's the product of our response to what God is doing in our lives. See, our level of joy is directly connected to our rhythm of rejoicing. Can I say that again? Our level of joy is directly connected to our rhythm of rejoicing. So if you're sitting in this room, regardless if you've had a really difficult week or a great week, you have an avenue for joy, and it's not contingent upon the circumstances of your life last week or this coming week. It's contingent upon your willingness to practice rejoicing. How do we rejoice? If we're going to grow and experience joy, we have to be a people who practice rejoicing. How do we do that? I think it's simple as creating space and time with God. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. It's reading scripture. It's going for a walk. It's praying. It's engaging in worship. What's happening as you rejoice in the Lord? You are thinking and reflecting and reminding yourself of what's true. The character of God. The goodness of God. The faithfulness of God. You're remembering the work that he's done on your behalf, that he loves you, that he calls you by name, that you are his child. See, those are the things that you and I rejoice in. I had, I I shared at the four o'clock, the back half of my week was really tough, right? Like, I'm a parent of three teenagers, and, you know, it's, it's a tough road sometimes. My kids are wonderful, but it's a rough road to parent teenagers sometimes. And I was just tired And I was just upset and frustrated. I went for a walk. And normally when I go for a walk, I'm praying for my neighbors. And I'm praying for Coastline. And, oh, I want us to be joyful and courageous followers of Jesus. I'd love to tell you that that's how my walk started. Nope. My walk started like, Lord, I'm so frustrated and it's so hard. And our, our lives become so myopic when we're focused on ourselves. And that's where I was. And it was like halfway through the walk that the Lord reminded me, rejoice in the Lord. Oh, rejoice in the Lord? So I began to to think about all the great things and the character of God and what he's done on my behalf. And my circumstances when I got home after my walk were the exact same. But my perspective was different. 
and my heart was in a different space because I was reminded as I rejoiced in the Lord that I still experienced joy even though my circumstances hadn't changed. And so if you're in this room and you've lost your joy in the Lord, the good news is it's always available. You just have to create a rhythm in your life of rejoicing, which is spending time with God and rehearsing his great character and his work and his promises on your behalf. I think the other way that we rejoice is through corporate worship and corporate teaching. It's part of the reason why you come into this room to be reminded of who God is and whom you are as the beloved of God. To be reminded of, regardless of the week you lived and the week you're about to live, there's a reason for joy because God knows you and he loves you and he knows your name. So friends, we can practice this rejoicing. There's a great quote by a Navy SEAL. And he says, you know, the lie often is is that when hardship happens, we rise to the occasion, right? Because in this passage, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. When times are tough, when times are difficult, when you don't get what you want, when things don't make sense, when life is hard. Garrick, when you're out on a walk and you're complaining because your life is hard, you still have a reason to rejoice. But the reality is, when those hard times happen, If we don't build a rhythm and pattern of our life of rejoicing, we won't be prepared. So going back to this Navy SEAL, he says, look, when when things are difficult, we'd like the romantic notion that we will rise to the challenges of the occasion. He says, in reality, what we do is we sink to the level of our training. Isn't that true? In hard times, you and I sink to the level of our training. And as it comes to being people and followers of Jesus Christ with joy, our training is how much rejoicing have we done before we hit the trial? We want to be people who rejoice in the Lord. And then finally this, to create a joyful and courageous followers of Jesus. Courageous means mental and moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, and difficulty. How can we stand with courage? Life is hard. A life of faith is even more difficult. Look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. It's a promise that God gives to the Israelites as they're getting ready to take the promised land. Just as you might think, oh, it's a promise to the Israelites. It's not for us. It's quoted in Hebrews 13, 5. Meaning it's a promise for us today as followers of Jesus that God's presence goes with us in the Holy Spirit and that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That's the first reason that you and I can have courage of faith. The second reason is that as you and I encourage each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, we actually breathe courage. That's the meaning of encouragement. To encourage another brother or sister in Christ is to breathe encouragement into their mind and heart to help them want to follow long and hard after Jesus, to truly be a disciple. And Paul picks up on this in in chapter 1, uh, 18 to 20 in Philippians. I'm not going to read it, but basically he says, hey, pray for me that I might have sufficient courage. Do you know that your participation in Coastline is more than just about you? That God has you here to breathe courage into other people, to help them take risk? Because friends, the life of faith is risky. 
Here's what I know as I read scripture. Listen to this. People who experienced God the most, isn't that what we want? I don't know about you, but I want to experience God to the fullest. People who experienced God the most took risks in their walk with God. People who experience more of God are those that are willing to take risk in their journey of faith with him. Why is that? Because when you and I are standing on the edge of risk, going, I don't know if I really want to jump. Does God have me? Will he take care of me? We find the end of ourselves, and we find the sovereign, good, faithful hands of God. I mean, think, about what, think with me for a moment on Scripture. Abraham set off to a new land. Moses' mother had to release her beloved child into the river. Moses had to go back in Egypt and defy a pharaoh. David stood before a giant. Jeremiah preached a very unpopular message to a hostile crowd. Barnabas went and found Paul, who was persecuting the church. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, had to watch her son die. All stuff that took risk. Really hard and challenging realities to life and faith. And yet in all of these stories, God shows up tremendously. Friends, I want to invite you as I close to, to see the reality that even you coming here, you took a risk. Many of you left a known land and you feel like Abraham to come and venture with coastline. Many of you might feel like Moses' mom where you released something that was really valuable to you to open up your hands to embrace what God might have for you in a new church and in a new context. I can't guarantee you that it's going to be easy. In fact, it probably won't be. But what I can say is that in your life of faith with God, if you're willing to step out and say, I will take the risk, I will say yes to the risky road, that is the road that God shows up in. And I shared this story, the end of the four. I think it, it speaks well of kind of what I'm talking about, of knowing that God is in something when you don't even know all of the details. I remember a day in uh, December where Sean and I knew that we were leaving Rolling Hills and we were launching this new church called Coastline and we knew that we had the opportunity to invite uh, Hunter and Michael to come and be part of it. So Sean called Hunter, I got to call Michael, and, and it, in, in summary the conversation went something like this. I called Michael up on his cell phone, hey man, what's up? Hey Garrick, hey Michael. What do you think about leaving Rolling Hills and planting a new church? Like, he had no clue what was going on. He was like, say what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, God's in this. We're going to go plant a new church, and it's going to be really exciting. And Michael, to his credit, as he should, as a father of two and about to have a third, had like a list of questions for me, Right? He's like, I'm excited, and I think I'm in, but I've got all these questions. So he talked to his wife, and then he called me back a couple hours later, and he had all these questions, and you can talk to him. Like, 95% of his questions, I had no answer for. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, but it's going to be great. I don't know, but it's going to be exciting. But what about this? What about that? Where are we going to meet? How is this going to work? I don't know. But I think God's in it. So can you give me an answer by 2 p.m. today? Literally, I called him at 10, and I said, I need to know today by 2. Can you change your whole trajectory of ministry? Can you change your whole trajectory of your family? You got four hours. Ready, go. 
I praise God that Michael stepped in and took the risk. You're all blessed by it. And I'm not saying that that's going to be your story. I'm just saying I know when you, when you know that God is on the move, and yet you don't know the details, you can trust God to work out the details. Because what we really want is to see God move and work in our lives. Amen? So come join Coastline and be part of helping us create joyful and courageous followers of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, God, for the vision statement that you've put on our hearts and now this mission statement, Father. May you do work in us that we would take seriously being imitators of Jesus, that we do more than just believe, that we would follow long and hard after you that we would imitate you in such a way that we would begin to become like you. And Father, would you instill in us a pattern of rejoicing, that we would learn to rejoice now so that when the trial comes, we sink to the level of our great training as we're rejoicing in the Lord. May we be a joyful people in this dynamic relationship with Jesus. And then, Father, would you allow us together to build a culture at Coastline where we embrace the risk, where we say yes, and we trust God with the details. God, would you do that deep work that only you can do to prepare us and get us ready? We want to see more of you in our lives. We want to see more of you in our church. And we desperately long to see more of your great name being lifted up in the South Bay. And yet the reality is it won't happen unless we are people who are courageous and take the risk to say yes to the call that you have for each one of us. So Father, we're standing here now and in worship and in response, would you help our minds and our hearts simply say yes to the call that you have. It's in the matchless name of our joyful and courageous Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen.